We're going to see some amazing footage about the effect of nutrition and exercise on children's brains, academics, suicide risks, drugs. The, you know, we've emphasized today a big picture paradigm, but the reality is when you begin to change the diet and lifestyle, very profound changes take place in the brain and body. In fact, without regular daily exercise, it is almost impossible to learn. Without a good diet, it is, the brain is, is uh, seriously damaged. In fact, I've done a number of um, bariatric symposiums. You know, bariatrics is where they go and they have the bypass surgeries, the lap bands, that kind of thing. And I like what they say in bariatrics. They say the battle is not for the bulge. It's for the brain. It's not about weight control. It's about appetite control. And that's a brain thing. So we're going to be learning a lot about the link between nutrition and learning and chronic disease and appetite control. And it is fascinating because to overcome cravings and addictions, especially, you know, food addiction is the major addiction, period. Two-thirds of us are overweight or obese, insulin resistance. We have these, this chronic low-grade inflammation going on. And they say you're as old as your arteries. And, uh, and yet the, the, the problem with chronic inflammation, before it even begins to impair arteries, begins to impair brain function. And so we want to better understand and be able to articulate that link because our children are, are being ruined from inactivity and poor nutrition. In our own schools, we need to, we need to get these initiatives reintroduced. Well, I want to take just a moment to... Um, I'm going to cover this for just a moment. Will that hurt anything? No. Okay. I want to take just a moment to explain about the Lifestyle Matters programs because they are indeed very, very easy to, to put on. And we are uh, doing, we're doing business as Lifestyle Matters, but I'm, we're really the Michigan Conference. This is the Michigan Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. Everything that I have here, even though I, I'm the, the author and have worked with other researchers and clinicians to produce these materials, they do not belong to me. I get nothing, and I don't want anything. It belongs to the church. This is a church program, and I just praise God for that. It makes me very, very happy to think that God's denominated organization at the conference level as well as the NAD can have a budget and a vision and an evangelistic purpose uh, for the church, the body of Christ. I love it. it to me, it's a great privilege. Uh, in fact, uh, these cook, the cookbook was, I have three cookbooks, and they were done before we went to work for the conference, but we gave them to the conference. They belong to Lifestyle Matters. And it's the joy of my life to see people confidence restored in the church. Sometimes we, we work with mindsets of people that think that only good things come from other places, but not the body, the organized body. And I resist that because God wants the glory for his church. He has a denominated people. Amen? Amen. And uh, so evangelism is a process, not an event. We're going to learn about that process as time goes on, but we can't learn everything in one day or, or review. A lot of this is intuitive and you know it, but we want to congeal concepts, bring them to the front, 
Very, very important. But it's a process, not an event. Very, very important. And as we look at the steps of change, and we're going to evaluate this more carefully, more closely as we go on, as we look at the steps of change, first Jesus mingled with the people as one who, what? Desired their good. Then he, what? Met their needs. And then he won their confidence. And then he, then he, uh, What did he do next? Yeah. And then he taught them the truth, and then he said, follow me. Now, 80% of people are in the first several areas. Don't know anything, don't want to know, not interested. One thing my husband used to say as a salesman, he said, the sale begins when the customer says no. We do not understand the value of creating interest in people. We will design programs. Programs are for people who are already interested. And that's only 12% of the population. So we need to master the art of mingling, meeting needs, winning confidence, sympathizing. That's where we create interest. Jesus knew how to create interest, didn't he? When the, when the disciples went to Jesus and they said, do you see these build?" They went to show him the buildings of the temple. And what did Jesus say? There will not be one stone upon another, but that will not be thrown down. And he didn't say another word. And, and the woman at the well, you know, he, he knew what to say. He said, this water, you'll thirst again, but the water I will give you will lead to everlasting life. He was always shifting from eternal, eternal, excuse me, from temporal to eternal. Your fathers, they ate manna, but they're dead. I'm the bread of life. Always shifting from the temporal to the eternal. And that's how we can keep people with us, whether they're on an upscale or a low scale, whether they're succeeding or failing, wherever they are on the bumpy road, you know, whether they're going through a divorce or they have some really aggressive tumor or whether they're just trying to clean up their arteries or overcome diabetes, uh, when we shift from the temporal to the eternal, keep that that big picture. But we have to know how to create interest because 80% of people are not interested, don't want to know, don't have a plan. And that's where we capture them. That's the exciting work. And and we have studied this. And so we need to be able to mingle with people. And we have put together, and we have these for you. And I'm going to ask my helpers, my trusty helpers, to slip into the back there and get the uh, tracks. But we have these wonderful tracks. There are 24 called Balanced Living Tracks. And they come, one topic is 100, so it's just um, 100 of them, $10. That's 10 cents a piece. And you put your contact information on the back. But we have 24 different topics. Hearts on fire, lessons on loss, chronic pain, diabetes, uh, blood pressure, uh, creating connections, mind-body connection, all kinds of topics for just sharing, for just sharing. One thing, when I've had to travel, I have to travel a lot, and my husband would always make sure my bag was packed with tracks or balance. Well, we didn't have the tracks when he was alive, but... Uh, balance magazines so we would have our our tools ready we're told that light seekers will be brought to light bearers but if we don't have have you ever been traveling and you wish you had something with you the biggest mistake we make is not having our tools with us our ammunition with us so give them several whatever just give everybody a few so they can look at them and see 
uh, see some of these topics. Here, you can take take some and pass them around. Take whatever ones okay. you want. Just here, I'll take half from you and put them on the other side of the room. And just here, there's a couple more. Trying to even it up here. Yeah, just take some and have a look at them, and you'll see these are these are nicely done, uh, well researched, with a nice. Christian biblical principle in each tract with an invitation. An invitation. You know, one thing that my husband was taught in sales is that we have to learn how to close the deal. So after you create interest in people, we have to learn how to create interest and then we have to learn how to close the deal and invite people to an event. We think that the angels, I thought this, when we put our Simple Solutions program together, I thought that people would just be struck by lightning bolts when they got their advertisement and that they would just, the angels would drag them to the facility and that that, the police would have to direct traffic because after all, it's God's message. Aren't the angels going to do their work? But for 80% of the population, they're not going to do it. For 12%, who are ready to do something, it still takes a monumental effort to get to know people and get them out to a meeting. So if we don't do our work, don't blame the program. So part of our job as health leaders is public relations. Public relations in the church with church members. And we're going to learn how to do that. So on the continuum of getting people interested in coming, and I did this with my neighbors in my first supper club. I'm only an assistant health ministries director at Lansing because I have a big conference to look after, so I, I can't take the big position in the church. And, and um, how many of you have ever felt afraid to take a big position, like a big job, big job? Nobody? Nobody has been nervous about taking a big job, big challenge? You know, I mean, okay. To, you know, to be, <laughs> to, to be a disciple means to be committed to a cause that's bigger than you. It's scary. It's really, really, it's really scary because you take the risk of failure. And yet coming together to work on something that's way too big for one person is exactly the foaming, the, the, the Petri dish that the Holy Spirit wants to work to create power and unity. Not only are we promised the Holy Spirit individually, But God wants to do something for us corporately. And when we learn how to work together in teams, we will learn how to apologize when we make mistakes. We'll learn how to love people when they make their mistakes. We'll learn how to work through obstacles. And we will become humble because it's hard. And God will pour out his Holy Spirit to give us strength. We have to learn to leave the ranks of the concerned. And join the committed. Everybody's concerned. I could go to. A, I could go sit. You know, I had to go sit at that bar last night to get a wine glass. I went and sat on the bar stool and asked for some wine glasses to compare sizes for my demonstration today. And I can go into any bar and strike up a conversation about all the concerns that you and I will talk about in church on Sabbath, and they will agree. But to join the ranks of the committed. It's called tossing your hat over the fence. That's an Irish thing. Do you know about that, Jeff? Tossing your hat over the fence? Well, in Ireland, John Kennedy's grandfather, I'm getting ahead of myself. This is for another day, but uh, 
John Kennedy's grandfather lived in Ireland, John Fitzgerald, I think was his name, Fitzpatrick maybe. They had these wicket fences that are made out of sticks that are sharpened on top and they could be up to 12 feet tall. And the little boys were always taunting him because he was short to jump the fence. And he was frightened to do it because you could hurt yourself quite badly. And so in those days, one little boy has one hat. You don't have a whole drawer full of hats or a closet full of hats like the little boys today. And those, that you, you go to school with that hat, you better come home with it. Well, what John Fitzpatrick did, they taunted him and taunted him and taunted him. He finally took off his hat and he threw it over the fence. So when you throw your hat over the fence, what do you have to do? You have to go get it. <laughs> That's exactly right. So we need to convince church members that it's time to throw their hat over the fence to do something scary and audacious for God. Matter of fact, the way I even got caught up in working at this, in this huge program that's going on in my church right now at the local level, the way I worked before, I'd send out an email. I'm showing up for a program. This is what I want. I want this you know, up in the front. They've done all the work, invited all the people. I show up, do the program. It's clean. I go home, take a bubble bath. I'm done. My pastor was up front one day beating on his chest, saying, I have to personally win souls for Jesus Christ. And then I thought, I was convicted. I was convicted. And, and I thought, he shouldn't be standing up there beating his chest like that. That's not right. I hope he doesn't do that again. And he did it again. I've got to win a soul for Christ, myself. It's not enough just to pastor. It's not enough just to preach to other people. I want to personally involve, be involved in soul winning. Oh, that bothered me. I just had to shake it off. So I left, and I thought of my friend Beth. She's a nurse. She's very a hard worker. She's shy. And I thought, you know, if I was going to do something at the church level, I really couldn't take the head position because I do have large responsibilities, but I could be an assistant. And I would have to work with someone that I know well so that we could work together, you know, at a leadership level. And she's just great with people. She's real quiet person very she's one of those people that you can talk to and I said to myself she's too busy and she's shy I'll ask her and then when she says no I'll be done with this I mean I really thought that so I called her up I mean I'm the health ministries director and this is my thinking I don't know if I caught that that was my thinking but I'm willing to tell you now because I've overcome that see so I called her up on the phone and I said, say, Beth, if I were to be able to you know, work with the pastor and get you installed as health ministries director um, and I was your sidekick, think you'd do it? And she said, yeah, I would do it. And I said, hey, you're kidding. She said, yeah, I'd do it. And I said, oh, oh, well, I'll talk to the pastor. We'll see what we can't get going. And she, you know, now we have this huge thing going, 95 people a month coming to the supper club, working up to this huge clinical program that's going to be a reaping series. I'm going to Guam. Evelyn and I want to do event. We want to win a soul for Jesus. And if I can talk to neurologists about the brain, I should be able to talk about our doctrines, right? So Evelyn and I decided we wanted to go somewhere way far away where nobody knew us, where there were no cameras, and do some events. So we decided to go to Tonga. 
we didn't even know where Tonga is. <laughs> but we decided that we were going to go to Tonga and do an evangelistic series. And when our conference president found out about it, he said, you know, I really don't know if you and Evelyn, you know, really should go to Tonga. Um, but I'll send you to Louis Torres in Guam. And you can do an evangelistic series with him. So in July, we're going to do an evangelistic series. Audacious. Being a disciple means, and he just sent me my homework assignment yesterday. It's terrifying. I have to learn really hard Bible texts that are difficult to answer and start marking my Bible. That's my homework assignment. Just terrified. But we're going to do it for Christ. So being a disciple is different than being a teacher. Being a teacher means you're imparting information. But creating a disciple means that you're enlisting people in a cause that is way too big for one person. It means that it is scary. It means that there is a risk of failure. It means that you're going to build into your team that if and when they fail, you're going to pick up and do it again and learn. You're not going to reject team members who make mistakes because successful people are not mistake-free. They just refuse to give up. That's what it means to have fortitude. Fortitude is different than courage. You can be foolish and have courage. But fortitude means no matter what comes at you, you're back at it. Don't we need that as God's people? It's rough stuff. And we we need to be able to impart that to the people that come to our programs because they're going to hit some rough stuff. They're going to have problems. They're going to have setbacks. And we need to understand how to help them get back on their feet and get... We need for our programs to be the type of programs that they know when they've fallen off the wagon, they know where to come to get support instead of hiding from us. And we can do that. But it begins with creating these communications. And create, when we hand out supper club invitations, we put them in these magazines. And it immediately, it immediately increases exponentially the value of your event. What we do should look good. Amen? It should be highly professional. I've done meetings where I go down the hall. It's dark. There are no signs. There are no people. I'm tripping over laundry baskets full of junk. They're unpacking food during the meeting. Are you kidding? Do you really think that this tells the public that we are? Or all the people that are doing the meeting, that are helping with the meeting, are in the kitchen talking instead of staying at the meeting. So we want to learn strategies for having a great public image and being able to do public relations, not just with the community. Some of us are real good working with the community, and we're just meaner than snakes to each other. But we've actually got to do public relations in the church, in the church. Martin Luther said, I have a hard time loving rascals, and I'm a rascal myself. God must be a real gentleman. That's what he said. And so we need to learn to love rascals and look the best. Look at the best in people. And do, how did Absalom win all those people? Remember Absalom? What did he do to win, to almost overthrow his father's kingdom? What did he do? Anybody remember? He communed with them at the gate. Are you having a little problem in your parish? I'm listening. I hear. I understand. So we actually instruct our team members to do this, but I'm way off the topic. But anyway, so these attractive magazines all have a spiritual feature in them. You can sign up for Bible studies, different subjects uh, that are available. One of the favorites for, uh, I don't know if I have it here, 
Yeah, this is a great one at airports. Sleep, schedules, and sanity. They love it. They, I never go without magazines to share. And I've had so many people come to events. I did this in my neighborhood. Nine of my neighbors came to my first event. I couldn't believe it. Nine. So, so we have just grown and grown and grown. And then we have modules. The concept is that we go, we, we, we minister to felt needs, and you have these monthly events so that your church doors are open, and then you mark it with an intensive. This is Simple Solutions. Diet and stress is what you're eating, eating you. And then foods for thought, nutrition's link with mood, memory, learning, and behavior. And then finally, living free, finding freedom from habits that hurt. This is just four sessions. This is four sessions. This is six sessions. What a nurse in Detroit did, she started out with a simple solutions program and 35 people came. She used the woman at the well principle. Where What happened with the woman at the well when she was intrigued, when Christ got her attention and captivated her, created interest by the way he conversed with her, didn't overload her with information, but created curiosity. We need to be artful in the way that we present information. I'm probably a little guilty of overloading people with information in classes like this, and I apologize for that, but I haven't been sorry enough not to do it for some reason. But anyway... So Jesus created interest, but then stopped just so short of giving her all the answers. And then what did she do? What was her response to Jesus? What did she do? She ran to town. She told everybody to come. That's the method. That's the method. We are in danger of exhausting people with endless meetings when we can just whet the appetite and then continue to work with people on a personal level. So... This nurse did this. She held the four-session Simple Solutions program. She had 35 visitors from the community attend. Had three months of supper clubs. You all know what a supper club is, where you have a monthly meeting and you have a little meal and a health lecture and a nice, fun social time. It's just an hour, hour and a half. Then she held a Foods for Thought. Sixty people came because they brought their friends. Several more supper clubs. Nobody's exhausted. Church members are happy, and we're going to learn some team-building concepts of how to create backup systems in the church so that we don't wear out the two or three people that are working themselves half to death, and we don't want to do that. At the end of the year, she held a Living Free program that I helped with. Ninety-five people came. Isn't that exciting? Ninety-five people. So I just praise God for that. The materials are easy. They have a lot of different features, including plug-and-play, DVD segments that you're going to see, beautiful, colorful workbooks with session guides and uh, answer sheets, and Jerry's going to talk to us a little bit about how he used those in his home. We hired uh, four photographers full-time for six weeks to take all these pictures, and they're really beautiful, aren't they? We wanted to do it right for for Christ, for Christ's sake. My personal story is in here at some point uh, on my deliverance from bulimia and finding Christ. Uh, These are my kids. And the reason that they're there uh, is not nepotism. My budget, I had no more budget for a cover. And so I knew that all I would have to do is offer them a sub sandwich and fill their gas tank. (laughs) And they fell for it. (laughs) So that's why they're on the cover. (laughs) 
And then in your workbook, we have just really continued to try to improve and uh, add to the ease of using these programs because 80% of churches are less than 100 people. How many of you come from a smallish church, smallish size? Yeah, it's very difficult to have large groups of people or maybe health professionals to lead out of. So what we've done is we have, it's a plug-and-play type of program. You can either do the scripted PowerPoint yourself or the lifestyle features, or you can just play them and watch them. You can watch them to learn and then do it yourself, or you can just play it. And the manual has session guides and handouts, and then, of course, these are the textbooks. And so we we have worked very, very hard to make these very, very attractive and cutting edge. This is Foods for Thought, and I just have to tell you, as an aside, one of my favorite um, sections in this book is called Three Cheers for Salad. Raw, raw, raw. (laughs) Kind of cute. But we also discuss the value of cooked food. Do you know that there is a value to cooking food as well as having raw? Does anybody know what some of the benefits are? There are three specific benefits that we need to be aware of. Beg your pardon? Uh, I I don't know about that. I've not heard that. But one of the values of cooked food is, number one, actually increased or or better bioavailability of the carotenoids, so they're better absorbed, better absorption of iron and and protein as well. When When the protein is denatured, kind of unraveled like a phone cord, then it actually assists in the digestion of other proteins. So for the elderly and for children especially. So a total raw diet is not good. So we, we want more raw. Do we need more raw food in the diet? Yes, for a lot of good reasons. We're going to have some real fun examining some nutritional principles uh, this week. But basically, these are the materials. You're welcome to come and, and look at them. And uh, today we're going to focus on diet and stress is what you're eating, eating you. I, what interested me in this subject many years ago is uh, we went, to, my husband and I went to do some meetings at an overworked, overweight oncology nurse's uh, church, and we stayed with her, and she had a caricature on her refrigerator. It was a woman with her hair on end, her eyes were in whirly gigs, and she looked mean, and underneath it said, I have one nerve left, and you are about to get on it. And so I began to ask myself, is there a relationship between nutrition and stress? Does stress susceptibility increase with a poor diet? What do you think? Just thinking about it intuitively, would you say yes? It's dramatic. Is it possible that we're more sensitive to stress when we have poor nutrition? Yes. How about how high the stress response goes? or how long it lasts, or how much damage it does at the end organ. These are all separate and distinct considerations. And we examine the stress effects of nutrition. We look at some anti-stress minerals and vitamins. And how does stress itself alter nutrient metabolism? That is a separate question. And we deal with that in this book. Because it is critical in fighting addictions and in understanding how to cognitively solve problems. When one of the long-acting stress hormones is cortisol. And when cortisol, when the brain is bathed in cortisol from con- chronic stress, it actually destroys nerve cells in the brain. The brain does generate new nerve cells. Isn't that good news? 
we all we used to, we were taught when we were younger that you were born with all the brain cells you were ever going to have and all you could do throughout your life is what lose them and then the calculus the the, uh, the calculus people come in and they tell you about age 30 you're going to lose so many billion a day that's enough to drive anybody to the donut shop isn't it i mean i'd be just so done i'd be at dunkin donuts i don't know if they have dunkin donuts in florida but that's where i'd be i'd be so discouraged but the truth is the brain does generate new nerve cells and they actually migrate to four very specific areas of the brain well there are a number of areas but four of the major ones or a couple of the major ones that are of incredible significance are the amygdala area of the brain which has to do with emotional memory and the hippocampal area of the brain which has to do with cognitive processing and learning storing information what does this tell me about God it tells me that he has engineered you and me for increased knowledge over time and healing from emotional trauma amen our brains are designed by God for healing because these new nerve cells migrate to those areas they're very rich though in cortisol receptors which means when you are under chronic stress those nerve cells die they may be formed but they die so the ability to learn what happens to the ability to learn under chronic stress up or down down Down. so here we have people at a program they're chronically stressed that's why I, I always recommend that people start with a stress program to understand the importance of protecting the brain from chronic stress you're not going to get any traction you know you can be on the right road but if you're not moving you're still going to get run over and so we need to help people number one understand the link between chronic stress and the brain and that's what the simple solutions program is all about and I wanted to show you right now before we see a clip from the simple solutions program a really nice uh, program with uh, Skip McCarty who does stress beyond coping Oh, I may show you that I may show you Neb I don't know but anyway uh, I want to show you what is called a psychopharmacologic dose of a macronutrient all right and Teresa is on her way. She is going to, to bring me another, uh, another um, example of this. Oh, she brought it. Okay, would you bring it in? Bring it up here, please. Okay. We had a kettlebell guy do this with, with it in my, in my last stress cast. Thank you very much. You did a good job bringing it up, too. Okay, what's this number on here? Okay, first of all, I want to explain what a... Let's, let's break down that word just a little bit. Psychopharmacologic dose of a macronutrient. It sounds poisonous, doesn't it? Okay, what are the three macronutrients that we need in large amounts? Three nutrients that we need. Macro, big. Micro is small. Macro is big. Micro is small. Macronutrients. We need these three nutrients in larger amounts. Can you name one? Protein is one. Carbohydrates, another, and the third is fat. That is correct. Remember, F-A-T is not spelled B-A-D. So psycho, psyche refers to what? The brain. And pharmacology refers to what? Drugs. So what we want to demonstrate to you is a drug dose of a nutrient that has a brain-altering effect. In fact, under MRI, brain imaging, people who are addicted to food 
who have uh, all different kinds of chaotic eating patterns, their brains do not look different than a drug addict. They look the same. Except there are actually more circuits that are involved because of appetite control mechanism. And we will talk about appetite control as the week goes on. And it's a fascinating topic. But this 75 refers to how many cups of sugar are in this container. 75 cups. What is the meaning of this? Well, if you were to have one 12-ounce can of soda pop every day for one year, you will have consumed 75 cups of sugar. Without doing anything else, you will gain 15 pounds. If you're a woman, you will have increased your risk of developing type 2 diabetes by 75%. Now, the good news is, if you eliminate one 12-ounce soda a day for one year, what will you have accomplished? What will you have cut out of your diet? You will have cut out 75 cups of sugar. You will have reduced your risk of type 2 diabetes by 75%, and you will lose... 15 pounds. I like to hear it that way, don't you? And so this is a visual of what happens with just drinks. And the thing is, what we say is ditch those drinks. Because drinks dysregulate appetite controls faster than anything. Some of these lattes are 2,000 calories. It's incredible. Some of these lattes, some of these specialty drinks that you've in the cafes... They can be 1,200, 1,800, these, these triple mochas with whipped cream and caramel and stuff drizzled on top. It really racks up. And there's something about liquid calories that, that dysregulate appetite controls very, very fast. In fact, it's been estimated that 40% of energy intake of juniors, we call them juicy juniors, is for, just from juice. And these are not nutrient-rich foods. So I, what I want to do right now is demonstrate every, every session of a Lifestyle Matters program has a lifestyle feature. We did it as a plug-and-play that you can watch and learn how to do it, but we tell you how to do it, or, or you can play it, or you can do it yourself. I always want you to do it yourself. Why? It's more fun. People like live stuff, even if you make mistakes. It's, it's just lots of fun. My husband used to do a stress control thing. Uh, he, he learned it in science. Maybe some of you went to Adventist school and you learned the science project of how if you, well, of course, we all know if you blow up a balloon and put it over a candle, what happens to it? It blows up. But did you know? And he would talk about how if, you, if you're not eating right and you're drinking coffee and you're staying up late and eating Haagen-Dazs before you go to bed, and then he'd put the balloon there. Your stress susceptibility is very high. It was a great illustration. But then he wanted to show the right habits. So he, would, he learned this in science in junior high. What do they call junior high? Secondary school? Something. I don't know what they call it, middle school. But anyway, he, he would put water in the balloon. Have you seen this experiment? Yes. Okay, so, and then he would say, you know, this person B, they ate in the morning, they had a nice high-fiber breakfast, and they had their prayers, and they went for their walk, and, they, and then he would hold the balloon over the candle like this, and the people would just, <gasps> and it, it didn't pop. But if there's an um, air bubble, it, it explodes, and there's water everywhere. And this has happened to him. This happened to him several times. And I want to tell you right now, people will never forget that evening, ever. <laughs> So, if you make a mistake, it's all right. 
I, would I need a volunteer to come and help me with, uh, with this lifestyle feature. We like to have the audience come and help. Who's going to come and help me? I need a volunteer. If I pick you, you have to sing. I'll volunteer, but I just don't, I, I'll be tomorrow, so I just don't. No, I don't want you. I want some other class person. Who will come and help me? All right. Would you like to sing a little song also? No. no. Okay. Come on on this side of me. And your name is? Susie. Susie? Yes. Tally. All right, Susie. All right. Do you... Oh, by the way, I, I forgot to mention that we are creating scripted PowerPoints to go with every single of those 24 tracks. How about that? Wow. Is that a blessing? So you will be able to do your own program and your own supper club, and we're going to do a plug-and-play version. And I have the first one done. My homework assignment when I go home is to make the other 23. <laughs> so uh, if I had enough copies, I'd give everybody one. I just only have this one. So if somebody wants it badly enough, just grab it. All right, Susie. Do you recognize this bottle? Yes, I do. <laughs> I've given it up since August, though. So okay, yes. Let's yes, give her a hand. All right, Susie. That is good. You know, this is not true confessions up here. It's just a technical question. And do you recognize this? Yeah. yeah. And what is it? It's a Mountain Dew. It's bigger. It's bigger. Yeah, yes. we make it real easy in this class. <laughs> Mountain Dew, bigger Mountain Dew. Which way are the drinking trends going? Bigger. They're going bigger. I worked with a lady in California, Susie, who was drinking 10 of these by noon every day. She was addicted. Really serious. She was so addicted that she would start fights with her husband so that she could go and drink these. This is serious stuff. My husband called this Mountain Don't instead of Mountain Dew. I think that's a good thing to remember. But anyway, let's just take a look at some of the nutrition information here. How many sugars do you see here? 31 grams. 31 grams. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to many people, but we want to just understand a little bit better what that means. Now, in one teaspoon of sugar, there are four grams. To make the math easy, we're going to make this 32 grams. So four into 32 is, is eight. That's right. So let me just... Take this teaspoon out. I'm going to give you this, and I am going to hold the sugar and give you this glass. And so let's just see what eight teaspoons looks like. Okay, and let's count together, everybody. Full teaspoons. Is that pretty full? Yeah, just full. Yeah, it's not a science project. (laughs) We can go fast. Two. Three, you're a little shy on the sugar. Okay, four, sorry. Five, six, seven, and eight. If your kid put that on his oatmeal, you'd get him off to school in a hurry, wouldn't you? It's a lot of sugar, but we're really not even done. Now, this is the small bottle that we're looking at. How many servings in this container? 2.5. 2.5. They do not tell you on television that you have to share this with one and a half friends. (laughs) So there's another serving, which would be 8, and another half serving, which would be 4, which is 12. Very good. Okay, take your glass. We're not done. Let's count with with her. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5... Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty
seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, and twelve, and all together that makes twenty teaspoons of sugar in the small twenty ounce bottle. So basically, it's one teaspoon per ounce. Correct? All right. But a lot of times, I travel a lot, I see this kind of a combination. So let's see what a full snack looks like. Okay. Let's take a look at the wrapper here. Remember how many grams in a teaspoon? Four. Four. That's right. Okay, so here we have how many grams? 29. 29 grams. What's four into 29? Seven. Seven and change. Okay, so we'll go seven because we went a little up on the... Okay, so seven. What's the next question? How many servings? Three. Two. Are you sharing your Snickers? <laughs> you know, we can down one of these in less than 45 seconds. Yeah. I've done it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh this is on tape. <laughs> You're human too. <laughs> you know, if you're climbing Mount Whitney, no problem. But the problem is, we're having a birthday party for breakfast, Christmas for lunch, Thanksgiving for dinner, and Fourth of July before we go to bed. A lot of fireworks, but not the kind that we want. Little bit is one thing. This is a drug dose. Okay, so that would be, so we had what, seven? seven. And then times two is? Fourteen. Fourteen. Okay, let's see what this snack looks like. One, everybody, two... Three, four, five, six, seven, ocho, nueve, diez, once, twelve, thirteen, and fourteen. Girl. Wow. Okay, that's that's a small... Now, if we were going to add the sugar in the big drink... Well, we would really need a beer mug. We'd have to add about another 15. Well, Susie, thank you for helping us today. Let's give her a big hand. And we're going to give you a book, a Simple Solutions book for helping us out today in class. Now, aren't you all sorry you were so hesitant to... Thank you. Thank you. Okay. And you'll find some fabulous stuff in there. Let's have that back for just a minute. Stick. Oh, no, there's no stickers in this. This is the fourth edition. And I'll tell you something really funny. We really thought we had our act together when we did this one. This is the third edition. But on our first edition of Foods for Thought, I had a section in there on uh, omega-3 fats and, and rats. Aren't you glad you're not a rat? If you ever wake up and you're feeling sorry for yourself, you can be thankful, if for nothing else, that you're not a rat. But anyway, it was a study on rats... And in this study, it was showing that they had better um, working memory with omega-3 fatty acids. And so I was trying to give an example of working memory. And so I said, these rats have better working memory. And then in the parentheses, it said, remembering phone numbers. (laughs) And so it sounded like they remembered phone numbers better. (laughs) And someone found it. They they detected it. And they said, well, at least they're not dialing them yet. (laughs) Anyway, we get the bugs out as we go along with with these materials. But in this book, we have a a really nice section in here that we have added on dietary fiber, eight eight, uh, plant power, 
eight ways to better health, then some dietary fiber goals, how to get it, samples of dietary fiber, fiber, the balanced life, and a great new section on your favorite, mid-body fat and cortisol. So uh, lots of new stuff that we put every time we do a new edition. Okay, so this is the visual that you're going to have each time in class. It's fun, isn't it, to do these visions? We want to make them fun. So we try to do, we're going to do something very innovative and practical every single day. Because if the message isn't practical and if they don't go home with something really tangible that they understand and can do, then everything is just theory and intellectual. And we want to make this as interesting and pleasant as we possibly can. Well, right now, are there any questions? about the programs or about the materials. Of course, you can visit us at our booth. My if you want to learn more about how to beat bad habits and establish new permanent ones, you need to buy this DVD's companion book, Living Free. Fine. It's inspiring, isn't it? Yes. And depending on the setting that you are in will determine whether you want to show the delivered features. Uh, there were so many, uh, you know, like in a ho sometimes in a secular hospital setting, that type of thing, that might not be what you could do there. But he, there were so many testimonies that came in for the delivered section that my that, that's my husband's voice you heard in his work making it interesting to watch. And, and he created a whole new section on there that isn't part of the program. It's called the Deliverance um, Hall of Fame. And it has 12 people on there telling their stories. And they're quite amazing. And in the book, also, there's a deliverance section after each chapter, as well as, as, well as these worksheets. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com. Com. Or, if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.